the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 170. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now on to the show. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. Got several balls in the air, but you know. (laughs) So so it's normal. It's you're totally normal. (laughs) Uh, yeah. I don't know. I wish I had a few less actually right Mm. now, but that's okay. We are. It always seems like whenever I'm I'm sort of busy, you know, with like work, then it's time to do something um, that's not. It has nothing to do with work, like move or, you know, some Big. kind of chore. Right. And so, yeah, so that's, that's really it. We're kind of, we're moving. We've done a lot. Uh, you know, it was easy to move all the things that were never unpacked. Um, and so that's been done. And so now we're just kind of living on what we're living on, but then we'll have to, you know, do the do the the urgent thing and right and you're still recording a podcast and doing all the things podcast working on a program Mm -hmm. sewing i've you know been selling a lot of things and so yeah um keeping my marketplace stocked and yeah and then and kids home and the kids are home and and addressing my own physical health which i think i have my last succession of doctor's appointments on Friday. (laughs) She'll be nice. I got it all done at once at least. Good. But that's an intense, like just. It was like, it's been, it's been like six today. I get a COVID test and I haven't had one of those yet. And so, um, yeah, it's been great, but my shoulder, if anyone wants a shoulder update, because I had lots of people, um, lots of women, tell me their shoulder stories. And I really appreciated it because frozen shoulder, I guess is like a woman's problem. I don't know why. I mean, it's not that men can't get it or have it, but it tends to be a woman's, pro- a, whim- a woman's problem. And it, ha- and it, 
it, it happens to women like over 45 and it's usually onset by an injury. And then there's no real rhyme or reason as to why it hurts so bad. And I know this now cause well, I've done my own research, but the um, orthopedic doctor told me this, like I, I described, you know, all I had to say was shoulder pain. And he said, let me guess, you can't get your sports bra on or off. You can't put on jackets. I was like, yes, yes. All of that, which by the way, I must say this doctor was the hottest man <laughs> ever. He was like the Polish, cause his last name is very Polish. I won't say it, but, but I could, you guys mm -hmm. can look him up, mm. but um, <laughs> you'll talk to me after the show. Right? Um, okay, he was like the Polish Adonis and I'm not even kidding you. He was so handsome, even with the mask on just tall and brown and muscular. Mm -hmm. What I imagine rich roll to kind of look like in person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So I was like, you know, suddenly my other shoulder hurts, my knee my groin, maybe, maybe I'm having, I'm experiencing some groin pain right now. Um, uh -huh, sure. <laughs> but anyway, I ended up getting a, he said, well, he goes, this is going to be just so frustrating, but there's not much that can even be done about it. Um, he, you know, they can, it can last up to two years, which it's been about that for me, but he said the pain, he just sees the pain, like, kind of increase and then it plateaus and then eventually it just goes away. But he gave me um, a steroid shot. He said, sometimes that accelerates the, the healing process and it's helped. So I can mm -hmm. actually use my arm a little bit now without pain, like just completely shooting down my arm. Oh, well, it's probably not completely gone. So you'll probably have to go back to him. right? I think I probably have to go back. <laughs> I'm going to need some kind of follow up. Right. Okay. Well, maybe plan that. Maybe I could, when I can come to Austin, well, whatever, we'll work it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need a little something right now, right? We need some levity. We need a little laughter. There's yeah. Right. I, I gotcha. Oh, it's it for me. Oh yeah. I don't have, I'm yeah. I shouldn't say I don't have anything going on. I have lots of things going on, but I'm just, um, yeah, I don't feel like drinking after I did over the 4th of July weekend. I'm done with that. Um, that's past and done. I don't know. That feeling just came up and, and then like it does. I did start a new journal, Sandra, for um, my gratitude practice. And I'm trying to tweak it. I was looking at all my old journals and teaching some things in my proof of life project with the students. And um, I'm not, I haven't been taking many risks these last six months. I kind of got stuck on an idea and just ran with it for six months. And so right now I'm uh, switching that up. I'm making all my paintings for my 50 by 50 project. I want to do 50 paintings by the time I'm 50. That's going really well, really loosen, loosening things inside and doing different things instead of just trying to do one thing and trying to make it look so quote unquote perfect. Uh, that has made me feel really good. Good. And then, and then the other thing, um, the other thing that I wanted to share is that we started mediation, my husband and I. Oh. And I've been chatting with the gals in the unruffled calls. Every Sunday we have these get unruffled Zoom calls that um, our listeners are welcome to join that are part of our Facebook group. Um, so if you want to join that Facebook group, send us a message on Facebook and we'll add you. 
but um, just talking about marriage and sobriety and partners who drink, and that's been really helpful. It's been good to, I've had some private conversations with ladies afterwards on, on the phone, and it's been good. And I have to say, I credit my sobriety with how well I'm able to handle this, even though I did feel a little drinky last weekend. Uh, I know that it would be a completely different scenario if oh I were God, still drinking. Yes. It'd be a yes. shit show. Right. Messy, so messy. And so lots well, of drama. Whole drama town. Yeah, it would definitely, that's what would be my address on the divorce papers, like drama town <laughs> USA right here. And it's not, you know, and I'm proud of that. And even though, you know, I've been with my husband for 22 years and even though um, it's bittersweet, it's sad, it's the thing that needs to be done. I'm grateful that it's with him that I'm doing it, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that it kind of, um, yeah, I guess that's the most I'll say about it. I'm just grateful that he's the one that I'm going through this with. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're grateful that he's a good dad. <laughs> Number one thing. Yeah. Because that's, um, you know, that's not that. Yeah. Anyway, I won't go into yeah. what I have to say about that, but it's not everyone's experience. No, you're right. And it's been interesting. Me, I, I've, we haven't, I have talked to him about wanting to move to Portland and talk to Grady about it. And they're both just totally fine. You know, we're going to figure it out. And the interesting thing about the, the pandemic is that it might be um, attainable that I could do this sooner rather than later because of the way that my son is going to high school. He's doing it all virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't given the final say for the next school year, but once we know that information, that's going to help our family make some decisions. And to where I thought I had to perhaps stay put for a couple of years because of the last senior year of high school and college coming up, like that might change. That might be really different. And I might, mm. and Grady is very interested in going there and he's interested in looking at colleges up there. So anyhow, it's like, it's not a great, uh, like, woohoo, I'm getting divorced. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well. <laughs> right. I mean, I know some people feel that way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just pleased that all the years of therapy and that all the years of my, um, quitting drinking, they, I can see the, fr- I can see like the fruits of that labor. I can see kind of, um, it is happening right now for me, not to me. And, um, so it's been good. I wanted to share that. Um, <sighs> one, I'm going to say one more thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of sobriety. So as this will air, as you're listening to it on Monday, the 13th, I will have six years of sobriety. <gasps> So happy birthday. Commence the parade, everyone. <laughs> we all be waiting for my balloons and um, wreaths of flower, floral wreaths. I sent you something in the mail. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. hopefully it gets there on time. Oh, you're yeah. so good. You're the best gift giver. You, you really remember are. When I remember. Yeah, you I are. Mail. You remember and you, you. you remember and you're a great gift giver. Well, I like giving I like receiving mail, just like I love pen pals, you know, but I like, um, I like remembering some things. I used to do mail every day on Monday or every week on Mondays, I would do correspondence before I got sober and a little bit into my sobriety. It was my way of connecting with people. I have found that I filled up that time with other things. Now I can't do that like I used to do, but it brings me great joy to have a relationship with my postmistress, Sandra. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I live in a small town with a small post office and it's very sweet. You know, I love the hand stamp that you get at the post office. So I love, I love mailing things. Um, okay. Promote anything? Mm, 
Well, let's see. Um, selling things in my marketplace. Sold a lot of meditation pillows Ooh, they're so lately. Awesome. So I've kind of been in that working mode right now, but I hope by this airs, I'll have a few more caftans uh, listed. They're so fun to make. And uh, I'm still taking clients for Change Your Story. Um, I've been talking about it a lot in newsletters and whatnot. Speaking of, if you're not on my list, please, I send out a newsletter almost every week. You can sign up at theunruffled.com. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to work on that dream project um, for either between four or eight weeks, um, sign up. Let's do it. What are you waiting for? <laughs> uh, and then um, I'm, I'm working on a new program. So very excited about it. Uh, everybody can find you on unruffled.com, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, it's TammySolace.com. On Instagram, it's at TammySolace. I've been promoting my proof of life project. It's a year, it's been almost like a nine month program, um, but you can join at any time and there's six months left and I would love to work with you. And we do group coaching uh, once a month and I've been adding bonus calls just for the fun of it. It's a screaming deal because you get uh, so much time in the group coaching setup and with all the modules on my website, it's $444. to work with me for an hour is about 90 bucks. So you're getting a lot of time with me and these bonus calls. Um, so I definitely think it's worth it. I'm just going to toot my own horn here and, um, you can find all of that on my website and, um, at TammySolace.com. All right. Okay. Let's chat about our guest today. Yeah. So today we have our sweet friend, Frances Waddell and Frances, um, is a part of our Unruffled Secret Facebook community and has been for a while. Um, she lives in a 400 square foot A-frame cabin in the foothills of Mount Hood in Sandy, Oregon, with her husband, Carrie, and dog, Abe. She's a full-time artist with a love of botany, mycology, gardening, cooking, and roller skating. And her sobriety date is August 6, 2017. Yeah, and you can find Frances at her website, franciswaddellart.com. Patreon, she has a Patreon account that's patreon.com backslash franciswaddellart. And same on Instagram, francis underscore waddell underscore art. And this month she's offering, not this month, this, I think it's for the rest of 2020. I know it is. Mm -hmm. She's offering a 15% um, one-time purchase on her website for unruffled listeners. You'll get 15% off and you can use the code unruffled 15. So I hope you guys check her out. I love her story and I love her path and I love, I just loved her. Mm -hmm. I have like a girl crush on her. Yeah, definitely. Will you guys enjoy Frances? Welcome to the show, Francis. Hi, thank you for having me. Good morning, Francis. Hi. <laughs> oh, we're so happy to have you on the show, Francis. Where are you talking to us from today so our listeners can get an idea? I, I am in Sandy, Oregon, which is about an hour east of Portland, Oregon, in the foothills of Mount Hood. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've glissated down Mount Hood before. Whoa. Um, in August. <laughs> the snow was still there in august when i was six months sober oh that's beautiful yeah there's 
there's still snow up there. That's for sure. So people are still up there. <laughs> was there's a, the, the hotel from the shining, um, Timberline Lodge. Thank you. Yeah. And we went up there, we took the ski lifts up and then my girlfriend was like, we're going to glissade down, which is like getting a trash bag sitting on your butt and got going down the mountainside. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I that, that sounds dangerous. But the kids and her looked like they were having so much fun and it was the fastest way down the mountain because it's hard to walk down a mountain. And so I, I said, what the heck? And I just grabbed a trash bag and off I went. <laughs> oh, what, a, what a beautiful place to live, Frances. Mm-hmm. Can we yeah. talk a moment about your cute little house? Of course. I I love my house. Um, <laughs> I uh, am in a 400 square foot A-frame cabin with a view of Mount Hood and it's on a family ranch. So I'll try to spare you some of the details, but they're native Oregonians and they own a 250 acre tree farm that we have access to. Ooh. So I joke that we're the only people like not related within like a 10 mile radius because (laughs) they're all like grandparents and cousins and stuff. So it's a really cool community as well as like a beautiful, beautiful land. Wow. 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 So where's like the nearest, how far away is like the nearest store or Yeah. It depends. Uh, We get logging trucks on our road. I can do it in 10 minutes, but it can take half an hour. So it makes Mm. timing things a little Mm -hmm. (laughs) fun. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And to Mm -hmm. live in 400, you say 425 square feet? 400. 400 in an A-frame. Well, an A-frame has always been my dream. Like I Mm -hmm. love the shape of it. I love when I lived in Colorado because of the snow, that's why a lot of the homes are A-frame. So the snow slides off the roof, right? So that you don't get that kind of normal, typical ranch style house that has a flat roof. You would, the snow would slide off. And I have some cabin dreams, Francis. (laughs) Oh yeah, me too. I love a good cabin. Yeah. So I like when you post pictures, I was like, oh, and I know it's probably not all romantic because I live in a 900 square foot house and you have to get creative when you live in a small space. So, oh oh, yeah, definitely. I grew up in a really old house. I was actually realizing last night that the house I grew up in and I grew up in Virginia just turned 200 years old. So the house I grew up in didn't have closets and stuff and using a lot of the same tricks here in this 400 square foot cabin because yeah. there's no closet, you know, there's one door and it's the bathroom, you know, so we're definitely in our space. <laughs> right. house, so. <laughs> and you live there with your husband um, and you've been mm-hmm. married for how long? You guys are newly married? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my husband, Carrie, um, we will be married for four years in August. Four years in August. And, have, and our dog, Abe. I'm a proud fur mama. So. Aw, Abe. What a cute name. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm excited to talk to you, Francis. You were so sweet. When we were taking um, um, listeners and who could um, send us a message, send us an email about their story, you were so enthusiastic and we so wanted to talk to you. And then one thing just kept coming up and another, and we had things mm-hmm. planned. And so we have been patiently waiting. I hope that um, you were okay with that until we could get you on here. And now it seemed just like the perfect time. Yeah, definitely. Things yeah. happen for a reason. So yeah, for sure. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Good. Do you want to, I mean, how we normally start, not do you want to, this is what you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to let you 
take over the show, Francis. Well, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> oh, I need some something this morning. So how we generally start out the show. Sean, why don't you do this, Sandra? <laughs> <laughs> well, Francis, how we generally start the show is that we ask our guests to share with our listeners how you came to the decision to quit drink. Um, so I, my sobriety date is August 6th, 2017. Um, my sobriety date is actually two days before my wedding anniversary, my first year wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. Um, I was just going to say that those numbers sounded about the same, your sobriety and your wedding Mm -hmm. and your anniversary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're really close to each other. Um, I'm thinking about my sobriety story, it's, you know, there's so many things that come into play as well as sobriety. So just taking it down to sobriety, um, I was just generally really unhappy. Um, I thought when I got married that, and I love my husband, we're still together, but I thought when I got married, it would add this sense of security to my life and like, all my problems would wash away and I would just be happy because I had a husband and the dog in the house. And I just found myself like, why am I still so miserable? I was scared all the time. Um, I eventually have a diagnosis in PTSD and looking back, I was just in fight or flight the whole time, as well as having some body dysmorphia and I I just could barely look at myself. I just felt horrible in my skin. And I decided, well, maybe I should like try moderating alcohol. And I had never really moderated before. So I was just like, oh, I got this. Like, it'll be fine. (laughs) And I failed miserably. I, you know, I looked through a journal before this and I write about, you know, oh, I decided I'm going to quit drinking today. And then I got drunk. And then, oh, I'm just going to have two drinks tonight. I remember one night I, I poured myself a vodka tonic and I was like, this is all I'm going to drink tonight. And of course, by one, I meant like it was like a double or triple, you know, it was a huge drink. And I promptly knocked it out on the floor and spilled it everywhere. And I remember crying over it. And then I drove to the store and bought myself a 12 pack of beer and I drank it all. And I woke up feeling like hell. And I was like, I, I need to do something else. So what I, what I do is I went to my local library and I went to the self-help section and I checked out every single book they had on how to get sober and stuff. And I took them home and I flipped through them and I landed on the 30 day sobriety solution, how to cut back or quit drinking in the privacy of your own home by Dave Andrews and Jack Homefield. And I treated that like a rigorous, rigorous um, like journaling program. And now this was at the end of July. So it wasn't till about a week into reading this book that I decided I was going to commit to, I think it was 60 days not drinking. It might've been 90. 
because I'm an overachiever. And <laughs> did you look, Francis? Did you look at it as like an experiment, sort of, to see if you would feel better or feel differently by the end of thirty days, or sixty days, or ninety days? Um, I think I, I think I thought I could lose weight, <laughs> and I thought that I don't. I just wanted control. I don't know. I don't really think I knew what I wanted out of it. I was Mm -hmm. just like, let's just try this and see if it helps. Because I was just grasping at straws at that point. I love it though, because that's something, I mean, when I was learning more about you, Francis, it just felt like something I would do. And and Sandra too, right? Like go to the library, because that's where our resources are for things. Let's just Mm -hmm. load up on this stuff. Um, I was reading a lot of quit lit and a lot of, um, memoirs about people who quit drinking before I quit drinking. So I think that's really, it's a, I think that's a great way to do it. You know, go, go investigate and research yourself about what you're, what's um, speaking to you. Definitely. And it is worth noting, like I had an instance with someone and I don't want to go into the details where I reached out to them and um like spoke to them about them potentially having a problem and I gave them a bunch of resources which in retrospect you know I would have done things completely different but it but in doing so I realized that there was so many other different paths to recovery at that point so doing that probably your both beforehand planted a seed in me a little bit and it's like oh there's lots of things out there you can try so, so you go on this, you, so do you do it for, well, yeah, t- finish telling me how you, how you got there. So you got the book. It's in July. Yeah, I got the book. Um, it, I t- it's like a journaling program. So they give you prompts, there's meditation. And I journaled with these prompts every day for 30 days. And in the end of it, um, I had written a personal affirmation statement and I had it pasted everywhere in my house so I still have it up from what my early sobriety which is always interesting still to look at what I can get out of it and then from there um I think it was at the 60 day mark because okay so after I finished the 30 day sobriety solution I started being like oh well let me do my self-teaching so I started reading some other books about self-esteem I read a book about um Sex and Recovery by Jen Matisse, I believe, and just went to work on that. And at 60 days, I wrote down, like, I don't think I ever want to drink again because mm-hmm. I was just feeling too good about it and really intrigued by what I was, like, bringing up in myself and what was going on. Right. It's like that's, you know, you hear that sentiment that you can't unsee what you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, when we're exposed to these truths about alcohol and ourselves and our relationship with it, it's can't really unsee it, you know, not that we don't go back to drinking, but that's that voice is, is been activated. Yeah, I hear in the room sometimes like held a mirror up to a lot of what I now label core values and things I thought about myself that were just, you know, oh, I can cuss on here. Utter, utter bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You get to change the story, right? Like what Sandra works with her clients, like you get to change a story about yourself um, of something that you thought and values. I, I didn't ever really examine them before. I mean, before I quit drinking, 
I had the space and time to think about who the heck I was. Um, when you remove alcohol, you, you know, some people talk about having this hole, right? You remove it and there's this space kind of left within you, which you get to either do self-discovery. I went back to school, you know, you find other passions. Um, and so for you, Francis, it seems like, I mean, that you were, you were leading yourself down a trail and you were, you were like your own breadcrumbs, you know, you were, you were laying those down and, and kind of following what your heart was telling you to do. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. And when I was, I definitely had help eventually. Um, so I got, October in August, and then I believe it was in March of 2018, um, I started going to therapy, and I really lucked out, and slash I'm grateful for the therapist I ended up with. It was a county-assigned one, and she was wonderful, and she not only specialized in PTSD, which she diagnosed me in, but also in addiction recovery, so she became really important to my recovery as well. Oh, yeah, sounds mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that she could relate to, to, and help you point out some things too, I'm sure. Um, I, I've never worked with an addiction recovery specialist, but I wish I had known that early on in my recovery. You know, I didn't even really, I was already with a therapist, but it was in for different reasons. So yeah. So, mm-hmm. so you have therapy, you're doing your own journey. Sounds like you're journaling. Um, you like journaling, Francis? Um, I did it a lot as a kid, but I hadn't, really done it in a long time. I really like just writing random things. Like I enjoy, I guess, kind of calligraphy kind of stuff. So I enjoyed the, like, just the soothingness of writing words on paper. So, Right. Um, so I know that part of your story, uh, if you can, if you could just touch on this for a minute, cause I think it might resonate with listeners. Um, did you try any other recovery programs? Um, Along yeah. that time, since you were on a journey of self-discovery, what was your path with that? It's because I know people who are just starting to quit drinking, I'm sure they would be interested to know like kind of what you dabbled in or what you, what, how you did, how you navigated that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think it's worth noting that I am a self-proclaimed hermit. So the idea of going into rooms was really frightening to me. Mm-hmm. And I noted from early on that a lot of my drinking was the only way I could socialize with people. And without that way to cope with the anxiety I was feeling around people, being at home was like my safe place. And I worked really hard on turning my isolation into solitude. So a lot of my early recovery was spent relatively alone and without any recovery community. Um, when I was 11 months sober, though, I decided I was going to try out an AA meeting, and it was fine. <laughs> it wasn't for me, but I, I, I just needed to feel like I knew other people. And so then AA wasn't really feeling good to me. And then um, I had been following uh, Hip Sobriety and The Tempest, and they were starting a bridge club chapter in Portland. And I started going to that pretty shortly after. Um, I also dabbled in refuge recovery, which, you know, became Dharma recovery and kind of never really stuck with them. I definitely made friends that I'm those things. Um, The Bridge Club introduced me to a wonderful group of women that 
I still meet with, um, we used to meet every month for a creative circle where we'd all have crafts and sit around and chat. And now we're doing it weekly on Zoom with the quarantine. And yeah. Oh, great. That's awesome. Right. So it was community you were looking for, not necessarily a, a program, like a, you know, a, a yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I felt pretty comfortable in my recovery. I just felt like um, just kind of alone. Right. You know? Yeah, it's the connection that we crave. Uh, I am, I know some of those Portland ladies that you circle with, so does Sandra, Mm -hmm. uh, because we met them when we went there. We went there last June, Sandra. I know. Not seen forever ago. To Portland. Yeah, Mm -hmm. when we had that meetup, Francis, I don't think you could make it, remember? No, I was there. No, you were yes, there. Yes, Francis yeah. was there. Uh-huh. Sorry. Yeah, it, was, it was when, um, I'm sorry, Francis, we were okay. supposed to meet up another time when I came to Portland um, in January mm-hmm. that we yeah. could make it. Um, the time I could make it, yeah. Right. Uh, my brain. See, I'm already not on this. I've already told you that. I've already disclaimed that. Um, but th- th- there's such a nice, vibrant group of women, right? And I think early on in my own recovery, I just felt like a little bit like it was going to be doomsday. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like, in, in the very, you know, pre-quitting drinking, when I was investigating things and following people online, it's when I met Laura McCowan and Holly Whitaker on Instagram. Those are the only two ladies and, and Aiden Donnelly Rally. Those three were the only ones I knew that were talking about it. And I hadn't dove into anything because I hadn't fully admitted that I had a problem. But just finding them on Instagram and connecting was nice. And, and they were all at different phases of their own recovery. But to have in real life connection, um, like meeting up with you guys all in Portland was so fulfilling. It, it felt like a dream, right, Sandra? Like it was over in a minute, it felt like. Oh, yeah. Well, right. I mean, I think it's essential. It's, it's really, um, really hard to stay on the recovery path, I think, in isolation. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, cause you just need, not only do you need commiseration, you need support. You need to know that you're not crazy, that you're not the only one with these thoughts. I mean, there's just, there's so many layers to it. You need cheerleaders. You need somebody that has, you know, that you can, that, that will, you know, encourage you all so many, so many layers. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, there's a lot of wonderful media and that can provide like that mirror that you feel back to be able to like speak your truth with some fellow people in recovery. There's nothing better than it. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, and it showed me, um, it it demonstrated and and it kind of modeled that I don't have to be all gloom and doom this is not the worst thing that has ever happened to me. This is actually the best thing that has ever happened to me to quit drinking and to have that invitation to self-examination and to uh, kind of dig down into what really makes me tick. And what do I, what lights me up? And mm-hmm. what did I do when I was younger that I can start doing now? Right? Like, yeah. why did I put that to rest? Why did I put that to rest? I don't know. Definitely. Um, I- go ahead. Um, just that leads into creativity for me, you know, reflecting Mm -hmm. back on those things that like, what was I doing before I drank and that occupied 
so much of my mental space. I reflect on that probably most about recovery. It was like so much of my mental power was into like, when am I going to drink next? Do I have enough in the fridge? Like what's going on? So once that was gone, it was like, well, what do I do with all this brain space? Like, what do I like to do besides drink? And, uh, I definitely, uh, dabbled in painting and, you know, just kind of, like flailed my way through some crap but um I actually owe a lot of my creativity to finding the unruffled podcast and I actually can't I can actually note it back so I was on Instagram and tell better stories Aaron Shaw Street's page uh was recommended for me and I was like oh what's this and I went to her page and was like oh this is awesome there's like a community and mm-hmm. of people in recovery and then like within the next couple of days she posted I was on the unruffled podcast and I was like there's a podcast for like with people in recovery and they talk about it and creativity and I remember just being so excited and oh. binge listening to the podcast <laughs> and <laughs> I decided after listening to it that in I have a little timeline August 2018 I decided I was going to do a watercolor every day and I did, and it was a lot of fun, and I really, you know, was proud of myself, like, was, it was very, like, validating, like, oh, like, I am creative, like, I can do stuff, like, and the therapeutic side of it, mm. and I just, go ahead. I was just going to ask, Francis, was this the first time that you ever picked up a brush, or is this, is that something that you did, like, in high school? Um, I was definitely a creative child. My mom was an artist. Um, mm-hmm. The way I think of it is I was given the tools, but not the validation for mm, what I was doing. Right. Like it wasn't nurtured. Yeah, it was a little too um, instructive, I feel like when I reflect back. But mm-hmm. I did take art in col- or not college in uh, high school. I was actually art club treasurer. <laughs> and, and that, um, that speaks to me <laughs> I want that job <laughs> I would never get that job no one would ever give me that job I actually think I have that job <laughs> I, yeah I actually that's what I'm doing now <laughs> so, so I, had, I had painted some in the past I pretty much dabbled in in most mediums but there wasn't anything that was like my thing that was my creative outlet before. Mm-hmm. but yeah so now do you okay. do you oh I'm sorry I was just going to ask one more question about that do you think that alcohol like walled off uh created a wall between yourself and your creativity was it like there was there a longing there there was definitely a longing um like I'm alcohol made me confident so I do remember at times when I was drinking at home by myself I would try to paint and then just would turn into self-berating towards the Mm, end of it mm -hmm. so it wasn't yeah it wasn't a positive thing when I was trying to do it when I was drinking right when did you start um when did you create your website Francis was it the chicken egg was art first and then the website or was it the website and then you started creating art because you make and sell beautiful things. Oh, and you. so I'm just curious how that happened because Sandra and I used, did an episode early on about how blogging was this creative outlet for us mm-hmm. early on in recovery. So how about, how about you? How did that work? I was art first, then website 
So I was doing art as part of what I considered my self-care. Um, I had been doing gratuity lists since day one of my recovery. So I just added art in as well. Hmm. Um, I started, I did Inktober in 2018 too, which is like the Instagram daily prompts. And that really cracked open my art practice. Then I switched from watercolors to ink, which is like my bread and butter now. So. Mm-hmm. And so, what kind of pens? I'm going to geek out here for a minute. But okay. what, kind of, what kind of pens are your favorite? Like, if you had to make a recommendation to anybody listening or me, you know, I I don't even really know. I have some fine point pens that was gifted to me from a girlfriend in Creative Circle that didn't like them. I just go wander around Michaels and mm-hmm. find what's the best deal. I do like a lot water-based markers as opposed to alcohol-based markers because there is a certain amount of like blending you can do. Like you, yeah. you want to, you can add water to them and get some cool effects. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's an experiment. You have to keep experimenting until you figure it out. Definitely. Um, but yeah. And with watercolor, I found early on um, when I was making gratitude lists, like there were certain pens that wouldn't bleed you know, like Sakura's Micron pen, the 1.0 is my favorite mm-hmm. if I'm going to watercolor over my writing. Um, but anyhow, I was just curious because I like, I like to hear about like what pens people use. <laughs> I like, the, I love the ones with the dual tip that has the brush tip and then the fine point on the other side. Oh, because yeah. the, I love those ones. Uh, that, that pretty much narrows down what I pick most of the time. So I can yeah. hop between the two. <laughs> yeah. You start knowing what your go-to thing is. Mm-hmm. So, so you start drawing and you transition to stickers. When do you transition to making stickers? Because I'm curious about this digital component. This is where I get stuck and I stop myself, Francis, from making yeah. stuff. I hear you. Um, I'm going to back up just a tad yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, the a transition point. So I had, uh, there's a local cafe here in Sandy called Ant Farm and they're a wonderful nonprofit. And I, knew that they took local artists and like showed their work and I was just like no I'm gonna push myself out of my comfort zone I'm gonna see if they'll show my work so I had my first art show there last March which feels like a decade ago like I can't believe it was in 2019 that it happened but I showed my work there and I went into it just feeling like I'm gonna I'm doing this to be seen and I was so scared like I prepped for the show for like two and a half months I had rigorous checklists I was just like a mess over it and I ended up at the end of it I showed 42 pieces and I ended up selling 22 and I was just flabbergasted I was like holy crap like, that's so validating isn't it oh my god I was in tears like after mm-hmm. the, the second one sold and then I was like holy crap like maybe I have something that people would want. And yeah, it was, it was really emotional for me. Um, I have to ask you something too, uh, before you get onto the stickers, because maybe this is a transitional question. So you, you, you have a lot of themes or motifs that you go back to. One is like a heart motif and it's not like the sweet heart Mm hearts, but the actual like an anatomical heart. And I love that you just do just so many variations on that theme. And you also use a lot of like um, natural elements like vegetables and 
and mm-hmm. trees and roots. What, how do you, how did you get through, how did you land on that as a, as a motif? Yeah. Um, the anatomical heart was, came out of, I confronted uh, a man who sexually assaulted me, a man I knew. And uh, it was during when I was making watercolors and I was just overwhelmed with feelings of like having the courage to do that. And I didn't really know how to express myself. So I sat down and painted a picture of how my heart felt. And I I Mm. used colors to symbolize the emotions. And there was this black muck at the bottom that was flowing out. And that was my first anatomical heart was me trying to express how I felt. And I did it several times after that. And then I started creating hearts that symbolize different periods of my life. I've lived Mm. in four different states and just, I've always been a naturalist. I studied environmental studies in college. So a lot of, I guess that goes back. I, um, a lot of my drawing in college was in science classes. I took a lot of botany classes. So Mm. in my notes was drawing mosses and ferns and distinguishing between different plants. So I love that. So that's where a lot of my comfort and love is, is I love identifying plants and stuff. Mm. And I love you just spoke so well about how we can work through pain and, and trauma and all of those things through art. Like I can look at your pieces and they will evoke a certain emotion in me without even knowing your, the backstory to the piece. That's the purpose of art, I think, and how it functions so beautifully. Definitely. Yeah, I love it. Um, this actually ties in with Tammy's question. After I did the art show, um, I was offered to have a booth at the local farmer's market. So then I had created this booth and I was selling my art to the public there. And it allowed me to hear what people saw in my art. And it was always so intriguing to me what people would get out of it. Oh, right, right. (laughs) Like 100 100 people and 100 different um, responses. Oh, yeah, exactly. And just hearing their stories, too. Mm -hmm. I I love that, you know. Yeah, I know. I love a good, like, market situation because it's true. Then you get to, like, really get real-time feedback on your creations. Definitely. And that's where the stickers came from too was you know like when I go to a market I love art but I don't buy art every time I go to a market so the stickers came out of well what's something I can sell here to at least try and make my my vendor feedback well I love stickers like I have all the the cool water bottles that I cover right (laughs) like why don't I try making those and they're my they're my best selling thing. I sell more stickers than I do anything else now. So I have some Francis stickers I love that I ordered and the heart one. I love the heart one. Mm-hmm, the Mandala That's heart. great. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you have like a company that you just use for your images and I mean, you're not making stickers yourself. No, I'm not making stickers myself. Okay. Um, I, I go through some different companies. I'm tr- actually in the process of switching some companies around because I, uh, I do a Patreon and I offer custom stickers every month. So anywho, oh, there's a lot of so cool. 
you know, a lot of hullabaloo with sticker process, but no, I don't make them myself. <laughs> right. Well, but that's so great. I mean, and, and to think about that, like your first, so your first show is being seen. That's so valuable, right? And that's what we, I think we all kind of want to see, right? My, my therapist always says like that to be seen and heard, that's kind of what's going oh, on yeah. here in this life and, and how you do that. And then to go to a market, I'm nervous. I would be really nervous to do that. I can imagine that's a little nerve wracking and a lot of prep, mm-hmm. um, a lot of hauling and schlepping and then having to be um, talking to people, yeah. <laughs> right? For someone who likes to be at home like myself, mm-hmm. it sounds like you do too. Like you're putting yourself out there with your work and then physically out there yourself. So it takes a lot out of you, I would imagine, but it probably also fills you up in a way. Um, it feeds you as well. Definitely. And I, as much as I'm a hermit and I prefer to be by myself, I do have, I worked with state parks for a long time as like a park ranger. So I did interpretive programs. I can, I can turn it on and talk to the public, but I definitely want to sleep for like 12 hours afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's true. It's a whole other element of bravery. I think, you know, because it's one thing to just hang your art on a wall as, and it's displayed and then you just get to kind of slink out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it's a whole another el- a whole other element of bravery to actually like set up a booth and say, this is me and this is what I have to offer. And, you know, to get totally feedback, you know, open yourself up to feedback, feedback and judgment. And I mean, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many um, comments over the years I've gotten that or something along the lines of I can make that as oh they like gosh. walk away. Isn't that the best one? <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> I, I love think, it. I think my favorite one that I've had to turn around is like, Oh, my teenage daughter does stuff like that. Uh-huh, and, I'm not, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm like, Oh, what an inspiration I am. I'm like, right. I know. She she could have a booth too. (laughs) People are so, they have no idea what, how, what kind of impact their words have. People are just clueless. Mm -hmm. And I always go back to thinking about that quote. Well, I don't always, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. fairly Brene Brown is, is been around for a a little while, but not as long (laughs) as I've been doing, you know, craft booths and art booths and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. But, you know, when she says like, if you're, you know, don't, it's one thing to, I'm not, I'm going to butcher this quote because she actually didn't say it. I, I don't think I, um, but Roosevelt. anyway, Roosevelt said it right. Yeah. But it's like, it's one thing to just observe from the bleachers and cast your judgment, but it's the other thing to be out there in the, on the field, mm-hmm. in the ring, putting your, putting your, your, yourself on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. It takes a lot of guts. I know. Cause I always, every time I just wanted to just run up and tap them on the shoulder. Well, why don't you go ahead and do it then? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) exactly. Yes. It definitely. And while I was doing the booths, I was in the beginning stages of therapy. Like I was like three months in. So I was in DBT group classes and I was just like, this is a practice in compassion. This is a mm-hmm. practice in emotional <laughs> regulation. Like right. I will journal about you later. <laughs> so, you know, I think it really helped me to just like throw myself into the fire of it though, because I was in such a 
weird place when it came to socializing for so long but the farmers markets and having that one thing a week where i knew i was just going to chat with random people as much as i sometimes despised it really helped me just get out there and get myself out of the rut i was in mm-hmm. yeah i can see how yeah i could see how that would be helpful mm-hmm. and and then you have like your pitch or whatever then you can kind of talk about your work mm-hmm. more easily when you have to when you're forced to do that or when you want to um you know submit pieces to a cafe or something like that and you you're just more confident talking about your own art definitely and you know diving into that self selling yourself and writing an artist statement and doing all these things where i was like well what is this how do i do this like absolutely what am i doing what do i expect out of my art like you know Mm-hmm. It really helped to define those things for me. Right. It's a very important piece of it, I think. It takes it from maybe just ho- a hobby to, you know, an actual profession. Definitely. Yeah. And it's you're legitimizing yourself. Not, And I don't mean that like that we're not legitimate, but just like for me, it felt like I was legitimizing myself when I got a business card, right? When I uh, got a stamp that had like a name, I used to have a little, when I started way back when, um, small town goods is what I called myself when I Mm -hmm. uh, was selling uh, library tote bags, actually. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask a friend who was on the board at the de young museum in San Francisco. She's a rug (laughs) designer. She helped Mm -hmm. me digitally get a little a vector file that said library junkie was what mm-hmm. I had called it, but I didn't know how to get it. I struggle with the technology and the actual, just me making art. I struggle with the two putting them together. So I had to ask for help. This was before I quit drinking, but it was the seed way back when that I knew I wanted to make something. I wanted to make something that was, you know, resonated with my interest, which was the library. I would go to like three libraries a week mm-hmm. and I would just never have a bag big enough to hold I think you could check out, I don't know, 25 books or 30 books. Mm-hmm. And I never had a bag big enough to hold all the books. And so it's just like a little seed that gets planted and then you water it. Yeah. And that's kind of definitely what I think that we just keep kind of um, blooming, right? We just keep kind of blooming in our recovery and in our artwork and, and then our interests change or, you know, the people we intersect with um, can teach us things. I love it. Yeah. Acknowledging that inner need and then how to express it, you Mm -hmm. know, being able to have that self-awareness. Yeah. And I think when I was drinking, uh, I couldn't, I had the ideas, Sandra and I have talked about this many times. We had the ideas, but could not um, follow through in the morning. You know, the night before it had all these grand, great ideas and either I wouldn't remember them because I blacked out a lot towards the end of my drinking and, um, or I just didn't have the get up and go to do it. I didn't have the confidence at all. Yeah. I didn't think I could, f- and I wouldn't follow through on things. Everything was right. Just I just a never, pipe dream. <laughs> yeah. It was just having the energy, um, to create a momentum, you know, because I had lots of creative pursuits and, and, but I always had to have the bartending job, mm-hmm. you know, so they were always like the side hustle. I could never, um, maintain the energy required to, you know, get actual footing and momentum. And, um, so yeah, I mean, drinking takes up a lot of time and energy. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. 
Um, so, so help us there. You, you're making the stickers you created an Etsy shop as well. Is that correct? Um, I did an Etsy for a brief period of time, okay. but I don't have one anymore. It's all through your website. Yeah. All through my website. Um, well, before we share the website with our listeners, um, can you, I think you mentioned you were working on a zine. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that or is that in yeah. process or is that through the next thing you're kind of working on or do you always work on zines? Um, I dabble in zines, you know, it's in my creative toolbox. It's something I can do. Um, probably what I'm referring to is what I call uh, my heartscape scene. Yeah. So when I was talking about um, my hearts and telling uh, imagery from different places and experiences in my life that evolved into what I started calling heartscapes. So I started diving into traumas and stories I remembered through hearts. And I was doing the hearts around memories and I was like, you know, I'd really like to write these out. So I did some prose surrounding some of my hearts and I made a lot of them and I decided to make a zine. And that's actually available on my website now as either a PDF or a physical copy for people to purchase. Oh, cool. Now, are you printing those yourself or are you having them printed? I do everything myself, mm-hmm. except for the stickers. But I have, I have my printer and I'm a one-woman show. Right, right. Which that's kind of, that harkens back to the origin of the zine, right? It was very DIY. Definitely. I'm really grateful for uh, my friends I've made in recovery, my creative circle girlfriends, because I'm just like, how do I do this? And Right. How do I make this thing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're they're a wealth of knowledge when it comes to like different outlets. And so I've definitely had help with that. Yeah, it's great to, to have resources. Yeah, and to have creative comrades, right? Like that you're gonna, we're gonna we can you can ask, how did you do this? Um, I'm gonna be talking to you after the show, Francis, for a few things. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then, but um, and you know, and I don't mind sharing with other creatives, but I have noticed that on Instagram, I don't know if you get this, um, Francis. Um, I get a lot of people asking me like how I do things. And when you've spent six years researching something on how to do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you've gone through the different incarnations of the thing and then you finally figure it out, Mm -hmm. I mostly share everything that I do. I'm a pretty open book, but lately Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've done a lot of research for this. It's taking me a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that I want to give that away, (laughs) right? Just like I'm sure with you with the stickers, it's like you've probably gone through trial and error company, figuring it out. Ordering the bad batch, you know, absorbing that cost. And then um, I don't know that I want to just, I don't know. And a little bit, a little bit, I like to share everything. I'm an open book, but lately I'm just like, I've spent a lot of time on this. I don't know that I want to give it all away. Um, But to other artists and people that are my um, friends and people that I can, you know, that are in my community, I don't have a problem doing that with them because I feel like I would do want to share, but just, just to, you know. That's what's come up for me lately. Um, there's an artist that I follow named Jen Hewitt. She's Lisa Congdon's best friend. And she talks a lot about this, that she spent a lot of time and energy perfecting which inks she used, which fabrics that she prints on. And she says, if you take my class, I'll tell you what I use. Yeah. But, you know, otherwise, no, I can't anymore. I can't afford to. So, Definitely. yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting thing within art of that I'm learning because with having no real formal art background. I have some business experience, but not art learning about like, oh yeah, no, that's not for free. Like, you know, it's, it's that self-worth, but also it's 
you know, still having to figure out that price tag of knowledge mm -hmm. at the same time, or, you know, I'll have, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm crap talking anyone, but it's like when someone buys a print and they're like, Oh, can you just sign that? And in my, I'm just like, no, like yeah. that, my, that's my business right there is, you know, that's something different. So. Right. Yeah. An original right. is an original. It's very different than a print. Oh, oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, Francis, I loved hearing more about your story and we didn't even get to talk about roller skating and I know we're wrapping this up, but can, can we just talk about your hot pink roller skates for one single second? <laughs> of course. I've been having a lot of roller skate envy lately. It seems yes. like, yeah, a lot of my friends have been, um, uh, yeah, I'm honoring their inner roller girl mm -hmm. <laughs> for quarantine since we've been quar in quarantine this year. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, my time will come, I guess. <laughs> well, I think I watched one of your first videos when you were just starting to learn, correct? Like you were, you, you were documenting it from like the get-go. Yeah, process. definitely. Yeah, I decided uh, accountability and being seen. I was like, I'm going to talk about this a lot more. And yeah, I just, it, it goes back to what I enjoyed as a kid. I hadn't roller skated probably since I was like 15. And um, I'm 33, so it had been, you know, 15 years when I got them. And it went back to what I liked as a kid. And also I have a lot of, um, I have trauma around working out. So, um, and people, you know, inappropriately touching me and commending my body when I was working out. So finding exercise and movement holds a lot of, a lot of feelings and so I was like well I don't have any of that around roller skating like I used to love doing that it's independent you know I'm zooming around I don't have to talk to people if I don't want to and plus like I always wanted to hang out with like all the cool skateboarders and stuff and the skate parks and whatnot so I was like well I'll just give this a go and um actually tomorrow which is July 9th, it's going to be one year since I got my roller skate. Oh, yeah, I love I it. <laughs> and, and I love Francis because I think the reason your story is resonating me so much, I am such a date centric person. Uh -huh. I track things, accountability. Like I heard a lot of that in your story mm -hmm. and, um, and knowing that you, the dates are important to you. Mm -hmm. And I definitely, that definitely resonates with me. And for a year of skating, that's amazing. So you have hot pink skates. Did you get them online or did you get them in person? I got them online. So okay. I've actually had, I've had two different pairs of skates. The ones I have right now are my second pair. My first pair broke. So oh. that, was, that was a sad day. Ah. <laughs> well, one of our former guests, Sasha Corrales, she has been roller skating in her um, parking garage and she's just, she's just lighting her up. And then another friend of mine, um, she was like, can you get some roller skates so we can start roller skating this summer? And I was like, um, I love that request. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, but you know, everything's closed. She's like, no, we're going to find a good parking lot. Go ahead. So her, her skates have been on back order for a long time. So she's really bummed out. I have not pulled the trigger, but my 50th is coming up and I feel like maybe I need some roller skates. Maybe I need, oh, yeah. I need some it, roller skates. It's become incredibly popular. I think there was just an article about in the New York times about how roller skating is having a comeback and right. So, so right. Some of, so of the women in my uh, creative circle actually have roller skates. So I have like my sober girlfriends that I Oh, I love it. it now too. I love it so much. <laughs> oh, Francis, I did a meetup at um, 
what is it called? Cal Skate is our roller rink nearby. And I had a meetup with um, some unruffled listeners and some women from my 12-step program. And the beautiful thing was watching, I was, I was watching everybody help each other. Some people brought their kiddos. Um, and it was just like a metaphor for recovery. Here we were, some of us were holding hands while we were trying to just skate, you know what I mean? And like taking baby steps. And then it was like related to the steps of recovery and how we don't do it alone. And I just had that day, I was just, I felt like my head exploded a little bit and it just symbolized so much the roller skating and my recovery. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful. It's freeing. And it took me back to being young. Definitely. And it, it is, I mean, you go to a skate park and I'm skating with kids that are three and then people that are even older than me and we're all there to move our bodies and have fun. Yeah. I, I find it's the ultimate form of mindfulness for me because if I'm too caught up in my head when I'm roller skating, I fall down. So you know? true. So, so true. And as someone that is in recovery from PTSD, like getting out of my mind is so important for me. Mm. So roller skating really provides that space for me to just be like, no, what are your feet doing right now? Like, oh, I love spent, it. You know, and it's yeah. just like a deep exhale for me. Mm-hmm. And you wear pads and stuff, right? Oh yeah. Full pads. Asks, <laughs> ask the 51 year old woman. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> I need full that. Pads. Full pads. Yeah. I'm in the process of learning to fall down. How's, right. that, how's that for a metaphor too? <laughs> but helpful thing oh to know how to do, right? So you don't break a wrist. Exactly. Yeah. And letting go of the perfection and trying to do something right on the first time. You're not yeah. going to do it right the first time on roller skates at all. <laughs> so. All these tools, right? And all the tools that you have and, and to help protect you. Exactly. And to help... T- oh. I love it. I would love to go roller skating with you, Francis, when I come Let's to Portland. Do it. Yeah. We, have a, we have a beautiful roller rink here in Portland. Oh, so. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to manifest moving up there. So we're just going to keep making it happen. I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so yeah. happy to talk to you. So, okay, we have to wrap it up, but we need oh. to know what's in your Unruffled Toolbox, either creative related or sobriety related. Three things that are kind of your jam right now. Um, first one on the topic movement, any kind of movement. Um, I definitely am a person with depression. So making sure that I can move my body is really helpful. So whether that's walking, roller skating, throwing on a song in my house and just dancing, um, hula hooping, I have to do some kind of movement, you know, to get myself in a better headspace. Mm, that's a good one. Move a muscle, change a move. Or change exactly. thought, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, touch is really important. Um, it's a, a lot of self work has been around that the form of like intimacy, especially with other people, and realizing you know we're human beings and we need touch. So I have to be very conscious of that. So making sure I can ask for hugs, um, doing self massage. I love a face mask. Um, but like rubbing my face and then the cool water, it's incredibly therapeutic as well as just making sure I get massages to have that human contact. I find it really helps my mental state. Me too, Francis. That's a very important one for me. I don't have a whole lot of touch in my life. That's important. I thank you for reminding me about the mask. I have not done a mask in years. I love face masks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then morning routines. 
Um, I do I do a gratitude list. Um, I, Tammy inspired me. I do a little mini collage every morning now, and I like listening to podcasts in the morning. Just I feel like it's my version of like when my parents would watch the news as I listen to a podcast. Oh, I love it. Thank great. you, Francis. Thanks for being such a shining light in recovery and in your creativity and sharing it with us through Instagram and, and your website and your art. Can you tell people how they can find you? What's the easiest way? Um, you can find me on my website, FrancisWaddellArt.com. That's Francis, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, Waddell, W-A-D-D-E-L-L. And I'm on Instagram at Francis underscore Waddell underscore art. Um, I'm also doing a coupon code for Unruffled listeners, good for the rest of 2020, and they can get 15% off any order with the code Unruffled15. Oh, Unruffled15, that's wonderful. And you have a Patreon. Can you tell us oh, about that real quick? Oh, yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash Francis Waddell Art, trying to keep it consistent. Um, <laughs> uh, I make custom or order custom art stickers every month for Patreon members. The lowest tier is $3, and there's other tiers as well. $10 tier is pretty popular. I make note cards. This month was little canvas bags with some of my art on it, and it's just another way for me to play with my art and offer it at a small scale and yeah I love my Patreon members and it supports me consistent consistently throughout every month love that love that oh thanks Francis it's a joy to talk to you oh thank you Tammy thank you Sandra thank you Francis it was you're so lovely so good to talk to you thank you love you both The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.